So my name is Allie Palmer. I'm in the master's program to get my degree to be an art teacher. Hi everyone, my name is Noelle Martin. I'm a fifth year student in the STEP program at Adelphi University and I'm on my way to being a teacher next year. Hi, I'm Jen Southerd. I'm, I'm in the ed tech program at Adelphi. I also um, teach there and um, for this semester I'm working at their learning resource program. So today we're talking about misinformation how it spreads, and how to combat it. Okay, so this week we talked about or read about Spies, his articles on misinformation, and the short video about selective perception. So let's start off defining misinformation. Misinformation is basically unintentionally spreading false information. But there's also disinformation. So that's deliberately spreading false information with an intent to harm. So I guess an example of like disinformation would be like the celebrity death hoax when the person spreading the rumor knows it's not true and just kind of puts it out there intentionally to, I guess, lie <laughs> to the public or, you know, trick them, I guess. Yeah, so they can just get some clicks. Yeah, and an example of misinformation could be when the election was rumored to be fraudulent and half the world was believing it and the other half was not and it was a whole argument. Disinformation is pretty easy because someone just lies and puts it out there, but misinformation is a little bit more the meaning and the intentions a little bit more unclear um and it kind of if you watch the video on selective perception it kind of goes back to this this human behavior it's been studied by sociologists that you know what our reality is based on what we believe to be true even if it's not true so like in that video they they use the example of the game it was dartmouth versus princeton i want to say maybe the quarterback for Princeton was hurt. People rooting for um, Princeton felt like it was, you know, he was deliberately injured to, you know, on the part of Dartmouth to, um, so they could win the game. And then when they did an experiment with the students, each side equally saw the same amount of infractions on the part of the opposing team, which was interesting because again, each person saw what they wanted to see based on like their worldview, I guess. One thing that neither article brought up. It was a Harvard Law article. It talks about first impression bias, or it's called the anchoring effect. And that's basically the human tendency to believe and rely on the very first thing they learn. So the first information they get on a topic, it's harder to then, like, if they get opposing information after that, they're more reliant on the first thing they learn, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So I thought that that kind of goes along with confirmation bias, too. I mean, if they're relying on the first thing they've learned and getting new information, the new information that contradicts what they already believe gets yeah. dismissed. Yeah. I think that's why it makes sense why the Princeton and the Dartmouth um, opinions didn't change when they were shown. They were had to rewatch the clip of the player getting hurt and neither of their opinions changed so the video is talking about the more evidence that you're exposed to the opinion doesn't change the opinion just furthers itself because mm. you know once you have that original opinion it's hard to break it yeah and i thought that was so interesting because you would think that people would be more open-minded if i showed you something like here is clear evidence that you know this is not right 
that maybe would change your mind. But according to these articles and the videos, I don't, I don't think that's the case, which is so interesting. Right. I think though, the articles, I guess, I think the articles did studies on adults. So in another class where you're learning about Piaget, it's psychologists who studied the stages of development in kids. So at a certain point around your 20s, your beliefs basically solidify. And after that, it's much harder to change them or influence them. I think the answers for confirmation bias would be different depending on the ages of the people you're asking. So like younger kids, maybe the new information would uh, change their opinion or they would see it differently than if you ask an older group, which is relevant because, right, we all want to be teachers. So our students won't necessarily have that solidified opinions on everything. So we have more, I guess, of an influence on them. And at that point, what we're trying to teach, right, is just critical thinking and to teach them how to interpret the information they get online, regard it with some skepticism, and then they can determine what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, both articles, if you think about it, like like you were saying, um, spies, how misinformation spreads in the context of information. Um, he doesn't, he kind of just gives different points of views and findings. And um, on studies, you're right, of adults. And it's really, I think at this point, it's hard to define. But I think you're right going with back to that study that you mentioned, I think it's Piaget, that I guess people are most open-minded when they're younger. So as educators, it's almost like we have this like duty or obligation to kind of like stop the spread of this information. And when you were talking, Ali, I thought of like the four C's that we talked about early on in this class as a collaboration, critical thinking, creativity, and communication, but mostly critical thinking, if we can teach them to think critically about the information that they're seeing at a young age, um, which is, a you know, a, again, this is a digital literacy skill that I think is like, you know, what we're a big focus for this class, then maybe we can stop the spread of misinformation. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think something that did interest me in the second article, they talked about how you want your students to be skeptical and you want to teach that, but you don't want to undermine their trust in media. So I want to know what you guys think. Maybe, Noelle, you first. To me, there doesn't really seem to be a right answer. I mean, you have to strike a proper balance. There's so much misinformation and disinformation. How do you teach your kids that not everything is untrustworthy? I think, at least from my experience in schools, they try to do this by teaching us how to find reliable sources and trace them back to their origin. So I think that would be a major factor in ensuring that they're not, they're skeptical, but not too skeptical where they're not believing anything is like teaching our students how to be able to acknowledge what seems fake and how to trace it back to it's if it's reliable or not. It is it is a big gray area. How, how much skepticism do we teach them? Right. I don't want my students to think everyone is out to manipulate them and lie to them. But I think the lot, a lot of the content that kids and adults consume is 
what's it called? Like short, it's short. It's little snippets of things. It's not really anything that you can trace back to a source. So you have to do your own then outside research to confirm whether this thing is true or not. And I don't know how many students are doing that. Like I, I've done that before where I'm like, this does, this sounds like BS. And then, you know, I'll Google and find an article. Um, but I think that is kind of troubling that you'll just get a snippet of something and it might actually be true, but it also might be out of context. And then you have to then on your own volition, go and research to see if it's true or not. And you're getting so many of that. If you're on social media for five minutes, you're getting like 15 of those different little snippets of information. Um, Maybe there would be some sort of way we can teach our students how to identify what seems fake. It seems a little broad, and but... Yeah, also how social media works. I mean, social media, like, the clicks, the outrage, anything that gets emotion. So I guess also, yeah, if you teach your students what um, what makes people put that information out and then identify, oh, is this trying to elicit a, a response or is it trying to educate? You can start there. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's the end goal of what you're reading? And if it's faulty, yeah. then you can take the further research into your own hands. Yeah. I mean, I was, when both of you were talking, I was thinking um, about what we said earlier about the how a first impression, right? So when you're clicking, and like the first thing you see about something, it's probably gonna stick in your head. So even if you look, if you do go to the trouble of looking for more information, you're probably not gonna believe it, maybe. So do you think, um, like going back to what we're saying about with students, do you think like even just like making them aware of the behavior, or like how we're so quick to just kind of believe something, or we base an opinion on our first impression, do you think that would help students? Oh yeah. Yeah, just knowing how the psyche works, I think is, the first and a really big step to just acknowledge what your instincts are. So then if you feel, oh, immediately, like, I like this information, I'm going to believe it. You can kind of take a step back and be like, oh, I did it. I did the first information bias. (laughs) Yeah, you could make like a whole lesson about mindfulness and social media and take note of what certain posts are making you feel to trace it back through there like if these things are making me feel negative ways or super positive ways maybe they're too extraneous to be real you know what the talking about the social media aspect of misinformation i saw uh, a meme that i thought was hilarious and it was like if when i reference an article i'm actually talking about a tiktok i saw last night <laughs> And I think a lot of people do that. Like, you know, they'll watch something and they genuinely believe it's true. But if you say, oh, I watched a little video on TikTok, nobody's going to take you seriously. So then you have, then you're motivated to provide some disinformation because you want them to believe what you believe, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I like that. I love the idea for a lesson like mindful social media, like because if I think it's, you know, we're all guilty of it. You're like, yeah, this is totally true. When you question or make people think about it, like, oh, yeah, I got it from a TikTok. It just I think most people are going to realize how kind of maybe silly. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there's also 
that has bled into traditional media. If you watch the news, I mean, it's a 24-hour news cycle, right? So a lot of things are sensationalized, and a lot of things... I mean, you watch the news, and they'll take TikTok videos and be like, look at this TikTok video. I don't know if you've seen that. I have. And so it bleeds into traditional media, which is supposed to be, you know, the trustworthy source. Yeah. Yeah, I think Spice talks about it, that and um, how misinformation spreads. How again we have like, and once upon a time the traditional media, like people, it was very held up to a high standard, and people didn't really question it too much. But they're just as guilty, I think. They kind of, I think yeah. they talk about like framing it through like you know a certain lens to you know, of course, it's at the end of the day, it's supposed to be entertaining, so they're going to kind of skew it a little bit. Yeah. But yep, on the twenty-four hour news cycle, I remember seeing are watching something about this where they're under so much pressure that pressure the traditional media to keep up with like TikTok or whatever is moving faster and they have a tendency to kind of grab something first impression and run with it even if it's not always also like in, in talking about the news um, outlets i don't know if you guys notice there's certain new news outlets that tend to have more politically left or right ideas that you know people who identify as left are only going to watch the left ones and vice versa so it's just not necessarily this disinformation but they're only following what they believe in which goes back to the selective perception video yeah absolutely right i i'm wondering if in recent years the ends of the spectrums have become more extreme or if it's just we're seeing more of it you know Mm -hmm. is it more exposed than it used to be or are things getting more extreme because of online places and misinformation and disinformation i think spies says intimates that it's becoming more extreme but then you know as we i think we all said we got frustrated with these two articles because it was like maybe there's nothing definitive it's just speculation yeah but i think that's what he is saying but i i kind of see what you're saying ali because was it always there and we just i mean before social media like i didn't know what people in another part of the country were thinking or saying so was it always there and I just wasn't aware of it or um or it just wasn't as extreme now social media and everybody up I don't know just from my own observation I think that extremists obviously have always been around I think it's just now easier to find those ideals and a bit easier to be sucked down into that uh part or easier to communicate with those people as well. So maybe... What I was thinking was social media gives spaces for Mm -hmm. groups to meet and have the same ideals. So rather than just one extremist living in your town and nobody agrees with them, that extremist can go online and find a whole slew of other Mm -hmm. extremists and spread information through there. So it gives a whole nother... I want to say like like a whole other space or yeah yeah it's easier so then you know the groups can grow more easily instead of having I don't know a town meeting (laughs) once a week you can make bigger influence if you can surround yourself with the people who believe the same things as you and I think that's what those echo chamber or the yeah 
echo chamber effects is what really they want to focus on because again <laughs> so much to our frustration they're like well we're not really sure if echo chambers exist but we'll say echo chamber effects but i think that's the idea that you find these places online where you can find like-minded people that just perpetuate what you already think even if it's not true and then of course that's what causes misinformation to spread yeah i some of the stuff that they were like we we can't really research this, so we don't have a definitive conclusion. I mean, we're all on social media, and we all see, so I don't know if we necessarily need this article to provide definitive research that echo chambers exist when it's something that you do see and come in contact with online. I mean, because were they talking about this week, or maybe it was last week, how it's the information that like Twitter has or Facebook has, researchers can't get a hold of it. So it's hard to do any research on social media, but we're all on social media and see what goes on. So I don't know if this article saying there's nothing, nothing definitive is that influential to me because of what I see already online every day. Yeah, you already see, like, the effects and how it's impacting people. Yeah. So maybe, like, you know, we were started out with the question, like, what is misinformation and maybe how it spreads, but maybe we started to talk about this a little bit. Like, how can we as educators and 21st century citizens, um, you know, what can we do? Because we, as you said, Ali, like, we see it. We see there's increased polarization. We see that this misinformation is spreading um, and that it's all over social media. So what can we do as educators and citizens to kind of stop the spread? Yeah, I think like what you brought up, just critical thinking, teaching critical thinking to students. I think that we would be around the first educators to have a focus on this because like when I went to school, high school, not everybody had social media. I mean, obviously it was around, but there was no TikTok or uh I don't even think we had Instagram, maybe. <laughs> but now, right, we're kind of the first to combat that in the education system. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think I remember when I started teaching years ago, like the big thing was like, well, is it a credible source? But as a student pointed out to me, like we know what's, it, what, you know, what's a credible source and what's not. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of debatable. But I think, again, I love, I love Noelle's idea about the mindful um, social media lessons. I think that mm-hmm. maybe might, might be a good start. Definitely. There was like something in the reading from last week um, from James where he says, for critical media curriculum, scholars contributing to discourse and critical media curriculum for an up for an educated public that can make educated choice about media, make informed opinions, and act upon them to enhance democracy quality of representation, cultural engagement, and social justice. So I think that quote right there is saying like, you know, all right, educators, like, it's up to you. Like, what, you know, what can you do to um, help out with this? I think another thing to note is um, in the article, it said how people, if they see that something, that misinformation is being spread, they don't necessarily want to say anything because they don't want to be socially outcasted. Mm-hmm. And, as, as we're talking about what we can teach our students, like we could even think about teaching them how to properly break down misinformation while going through social media or... Oh yeah, that's... 
And I don't know why that just reminded me. And I think um, both of you, maybe when you were in school, I know with my own kids, this was a big thing. Like, don't be a bystander, be an upstander. But yeah, I, I had, I took a little class about that too. Like, could you, I wonder if we could, you know, if we could incorporate that into like a critical media curriculum. Like if you see something that's wrong. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But it's true, especially, um, I mean, I think even for adults, um and i you know i just saw um aaron posted that video on twitter like what do you do when someone comes to you with a piece of misinformation like if it's like a you know we all have that awkward conversation with like an uncle at thanksgiving like (laughs) (laughs) so maybe help students like navigate that too like how what do you do when somebody comes up to you with something that um you're pretty sure is not correct yeah so, you know, as we keep saying, it was very frustrating because I always like to have um, the definitive answer um, to all my problems. But as we know, that doesn't exist. So I guess, again, I, you know, I, just connecting everything that we talked about so far and, and putting it with what we learned this week, I think just being aware of these, this phenomena where, you know, how we're all of us are guilty of spreading misinformation and, and this confirmation bias. So for me as an educator, my big takeaway from this week is, okay, what can I do in my own classroom or even as a citizen to kind of um, make people and myself more aware of this information um, and not spread? That's exactly what I was thinking. Watching the video and reading the articles, I was thinking that I was reflecting on my actions on online platforms especially social media and thinking about okay have I been spreading misinformation just because I believe certain things you know reevaluating my presence on digital platforms and considering how can I better this when I become a teacher next year how can I teach them right off the bat what misinformation looks like and how to not partake in it how to break it down but also be able to trust reliable sources and find those ones too so a big question that we're going to have to figure out and break down as we go and as we teach our students and the more social media gets involved through our classroom which i'm sure it's going to um these are things that we're just going to have to figure out as we go i guess yeah i I like your self-reflection point definitely be critical of yourself and what you've interacted with online and your part in misinformation. And I like how you talked about, um, cause it's true. And, and the articles talk about this too. The problem, if you overemphasize, right, the issue, then, mm-hmm. um, stop trusting all sources. But so again, going back to what is a credible source and what's not a credible source and trusting that the information from these credible sources is accurate because that's an important part of this too if nobody as spies talks you know in the articles if nobody trusts anything then then that's a problem right as well well it was great talking with you jennifer and noel i think it's a really interesting topic and i'm interested to see what our peers have to say on voice thread this week too